Alrighty dighty everyone. Today I am talking about parts. Parts. Parts work. So for those of you who are not familiar, I think a good chunk of you are probably familiar. Um, parts refers to the fact that even though we all have one physical body, we look at a person and we think, wow, that is one person. And what many people have understood, hey, Chelsea, hey, Jerry, I don't know why I'm blanking on All Life is Sacred Art right now, your name. I'm so sorry I'm blanking on your fucking name. How did I do that? Hey, Aubrey. So I'm talking about specifically pleasers today, but I'm going to wrap in some inner critic and some pusher as well. And we're going to come full circle with this. So first, let's lay the foundation for those of you guys that maybe don't understand parts. What I mean when I say that is that we look at a person, they look like a single person, but that is not how consciousness functions and that's not how the human psyche functions. So the human psyche functions in parts or selves. So essentially we are a multiplicity walking around. Now, until there's an actual aware ego process or until there's an awareness of these different selves, a person will simply live their life from primary selves, which are developed early on in their life. And not only will they live their life from these primary selves, but these primary selves are essentially hijacking a person all day long. So you might have a work self or a cluster of selves that are responsible for your work. You may have a cluster of selves that deal with personal relationships and friendships. And you hear people talk about this, even people who don't understand this consciously, they'll say, I don't know, I just feel like one part of me really wants this, and I feel like one part of me really wants that. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about parts of a person, is these inner Siamese twins, as Teal Swan refers to them, or these inner opposites. And when we talk about parts, we have to understand them from this place of understanding that there is always an opposite to every primary self, meaning that the way that a person's personality structure, this multiplicity of self, self structure that we're looking at, that was once again, like I said, patterned and developed out of childhood, out of the necessity for these primary selves to be born, they always have an opposite. Now, what typically happens is that whatever the vulnerability was that created the primary self in childhood, because we have to understand that when we're talking about selves, we're talking about vulnerability. Because selves are always born out of vulnerability, meaning that behind every primary self and every disowned self is a vulnerability. So let's say, and we're gonna, I'm going to get into the details of specifically pleasers and how a pleaser is typically born. I would say 
um, people tend to kind of go to one end of the spectrum or the other. Either you're going to be a pleaser, which I would say falls under a more codependent style of relationship, or you might fall under... I don't know what the exact opposite to a pleaser would be, and it might be different for each person, but it would be more like a self that is interested in you, in your needs, more of an impersonal energy that has the capacity to not really care about what other people want, right? Which is the total opposite of what a pleaser is. So you might see that as a more narcissistic way of relating. But what's interesting is that we need a homeopathic dose of of the opposite. And not only that, but we oftentimes actually need to be taking a homeopathic dose of the primary self and then bringing in a larger dose of the disowned self because that's the missing energy. So when we talk about parts work and specifically the way that I'm teaching this is from a voice dialogue perspective because that's the modality of parts work that I'm trained in, but there's a number of different ways that parts work is carried out like gestalt therapy i did a whole like hour and a half long video on youtube about parts work going into that whole thing of how parts work shows up so you can watch that if you want to like really go into it but for the sake of this um that missing energy that's in the system is what is causing a couple of different things it's what's causing an imbalance and it's also what's causing magnet, magnetic or polarizing relationships, meaning that the people outside of us, we have this attraction typically towards people who hold a disowned or missing energy within our system as an attempt to basically get that thing back, to get closer to that thing. So there was a piece that I missed that I was like trying to weave through. vulnerabilities, please ourselves, maybe it'll come back. So when we talk about these different parts of us, we see them coming up. Oh, this is what I was going to say. Bingo. So when the primary self is created, so let's say in this case, the primary self is the pleaser, which I'm going to explain what that is and why that's created. Initially, it takes care of a specific vulnerability. The problem is that when we have an imbalance in our system like that, and we're chronically utilizing one of those primary selves and we're disowned and disconnected from its opposite energy it creates a new kind of vulnerability in adulthood so this is typically where a person will start to feel like whatever coping mechanism they've been using is not working anymore because now they have basically been putting a band-aid on top of a festering wound and it maybe worked for you as a child but that chronic 
imbalance in the system has created a new kind of vulnerability in relationships that that primary self is no longer able to take care of. So the pleaser, you can think about it like this. When you're a baby and you are smiling and happy, like it can be very natural if an infant is maybe not chronically sick or doesn't have some kind of other issue, it could be very natural for a baby to smile and to be happy. And what we notice, hey guys, what we notice as babies, because we're just these little sponges and we're picking up on all these social cues, is that mom or the primary caregiver, but in this situation, I'm just going to call it mom, Mom responds really well when we are happy and smiling because think about it. Mom is probably going to be less stressed out. She's probably going to feel good that baby is doing good. And so baby gets its needs met when they're smiling. And so what starts to happen for so many people, and this starts really, really young, is that there becomes a mechanism within the system that starts to have babies smile even when they're not necessarily happy as a way to get mom to come closer and feed me and take care of my needs. Because what the baby might also start to notice is that when I'm crying, when I'm upset, mom gets upset. Maybe she ignores my needs. Maybe she gets frustrated and upset. She's not the same loving, happy, attentive mom that she was when I was smiling and happy. So if this starts in infancy, then you can see how it would definitely compound if we're with unconscious parents, which 99.999% of the population was or is. And there's all kinds of other ways that this pattern gets reinforced. You can see how this would be a problem. This is why this is one of the primary selves that we talk about in voice dialogue. So baby learns, hmm, when I'm upset, mom's upset and my needs don't get met. Or they don't get met in the way that I need them to get met. Because what we understand about infants is that even the most conscious of parents are accurately responding to the infant's cues only about 50% of the time. That's a super conscious parent. Because we don't have attunement because as people, we're very disconnected from ourselves. So if we're disconnected from ourselves, how can we expect ourselves to be attuned to another person, let alone a baby or child who's unable to speak? And as an infant, we're completely dependent on our caregivers to take care of us. And not only that, but you better come up with some coping strategies. You better find out how you are going to survive. Because if you don't get that person to come over and feed you and hold you and take care of you, you're gonna die. So it comes from a very survival-based mechanism within the organism and within the being. Hey, Alana. Hey, guys. 
So, baby learns when I'm happy, I get my needs met. And you can see how this, this reality that so many babies and toddlers and children face is also compounded within the context of our society, which is that we're an emotionally repressed society as a whole. You know, it's definitely different from culture to culture. You see like Latin American cultures tend to be a lot less emotionally repressed than European cultures. But overall, we're in the emotional dark ages, you guys. <laughs> overall, human beings don't know how to deal with their emotions and they suppress them. So we learn in the greater context that anything that makes us vulnerable is not going to be good, which is where all of these primary selves are coming out of because we want to avoid the vulnerability, which then of course shifts as we become adults because then our where ego realizes, oh my God, I have to be an advocate for my own vulnerability. I can't shove the vulnerability right up in front and have that be who talks to the world because that's not going to go well. We can't have the kid speaking to whoever. They're going to get punched in the face by the world. So this is where this whole where ego process comes online. The um, aspects of us that can speak for our vulnerability and tuck them somewhere safe. So going back to the pleaser and this more sort of codependent way of relating to people. <sighs> Maybe you can think for yourself how, how this has shown up in your life. I'm speaking about this because this is something that even though I'm a very strongly personalityed person who has definitely had narcissistic traits, um, this sort of pleaser thing has gone really like slipped under the radar for me. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I've really been able to notice like, oh shit. Because we got to talk about what's underneath a pleaser, you guys, because it's really intense. Like, if you believe that, you, like, let's look at the psyche. Let's look at the mentality of a pleaser. The mentality of a pleaser is... The only way that I'm going to get you to meet my need for connection, to meet my need, let's say, for, I mean, as an adult, it would be for connection. As a baby, it would be for literal survival, is to do what? Is to abandon myself and how I feel. What's very interesting is that pleasers, like any selves, have a need to be seen and have a need to be accepted for who they are. But do you see what happens? The, the mechanism that's used to defend the vulnerability ends up creating the very vulnerability that it seeks to resolve. Because if I'm pleasing you, and I'm not actually showing you how I'm actually feeling so that I don't have to have this vulnerability out in the open, I just put myself behind a two-way mirror 
and you can't actually see me, which means you can't actually be in relationship to me. So that then fuels the same issue. And this is where you see later on in adulthood, the person's like, why do I feel like I have to fight so hard to be in a relationship? And why do I feel like I'm betraying myself? Why do I feel angry and resentful of different people? Because that's a real sign that a person has a pusher. If you have resentment in your relationships or you feel angry and you don't really know why, chances are it's because you're not in touch with that with the needs of yourself and you're that you're actually accommodating for this other person and you're violating your own boundaries so going back to like the pathology and sort of like what's underneath that what vulnerability is underneath that the vulnerability is you're not going to love me if i am as i am so it becomes a sort of performative way of being in relationship and it's not actually being in relationship, like I said, because they're not in relationship with the truth of you. They're in the relationship with the overlay that you're presenting to them. And underneath that tends to be a lot of despair and a lot of desperation because desperation is a cover emotion for despair. So it's a really deep well of vulnerability underneath a pleaser. And it can be really easy to get angry with ourselves and to even shame ourselves for being that way. Like, why do I always do this? Why is it so hard for me? Like, I just want to be myself. And you hear that, I just want to be myself. Well, who is saying that is the disowned energy that's on the other side. The one that's been locked away that we haven't heard from, the one who doesn't get any airtime, that's the imbalance in the system. So when we understand the depth of the fear that exists underneath a pleaser, I mean the fear, it's like you gotta, it's when you're in a room and somebody walks in and suddenly you sit up straighter. It's when you don't really want to do something, but you're afraid that if you don't do that thing, that you might lose that other person. And some of this might be conscious and some of this might, you might kind of sweep it under the rug a little bit. It might not be super conscious. You might just be like, it's fine. I could probably do it. I mean, yeah, I guess I don't really feel like I have the energy for it, but you know, I, it's fine. I could do it. And all the while you feel like you're kind of pulling against something or it feels like there's some level of resistance, it's because you are pulling against something. But the need for the connection is so much greater than anything else in that moment that the pleaser will win out. So a lot of that shame and that anger or frustration that we have with ourselves for pleasing other people for having a more codependent way of relating to people kind of dissolves or diffuses when we understand the child that's underneath that that literally was just desperate to be loved for who they were 
and needed their needs met. So there's that piece. How do we even begin to go about resolving that is, like I said, through making contact with the opposite. Now, what's interesting about parts work and about these opposite pairs of selves is that typically you will see one side or both projecting onto the other, meaning that your pleaser may be projecting to the other side and saying, well, if I'm myself and I really let who's on the other side of this have full reign over my life and I have boundaries and I care about myself and my needs and all this stuff, I'm going to lose everyone that I've ever had. And that one's fucking selfish and rude and it's got all kinds of judgments about who is over there. But we don't really know. And because when we talk about primary selves, the ego is identified with that self, you yourself believe that that's true. So that's why something like voice dialogue where we get that separation is so important because the aware ego in between is a neutral place and space where you can have a relationship with each of these. So you can actually see who is projecting onto who and what is actually the truth. Sometimes parts think that they're taking care of, they think that you're a child and that they're still taking care of a child. So it can be news to them to find out that you're actually a full grown adult. But without an aware ego process, like they've just been running everything. What are you talking about aware ego? I've been running the show this whole time. Telling me now I'm supposed to like give up the reins to this fucking, this fucking guy who this, but it's not a person. The aware ego is not a self. It's a consciousness. So we have to actually go into each of the opposites to find out what the other energy is actually like. And let's say you have lived your life from a chronic pleaser and you don't even know what this opposite energy is, what you can do, and you can do this with any kinds of parts work, is you can find out who has that energy. Who in my life have I been attracted to who seems to have this ability to just like be themselves and it seems like they don't really care what people think about them and they just like put themselves out there And then step into the part of you that is that energy. So you don't even necessarily have to go searching for whatever this missing energy is. Like, let's say you're looking to have an inner dad that you've never had. And you're like, well, I don't know where that is in my system. Who who has that energy? It could be a a fictitious, like an imagined being in your mind that holds that kind of energy. And then you can go over there. Hmm. What does it feel like to be that energy? And it's oftentimes not what the primary self projects it to be. There's a few other things I wanted to say about this. Also, hey guys, hey Sandra. Hey Erica. Oh my goodness. Hi, everybody. 
Oh yeah. So I wanted to weave in the piece about the inner critics and the piece about the pusher. So when we talk about primary selves being developed, like let's say a pleaser, it happens because every person, not only are we dealing with a vulnerability, but every person also has an inner critic. And this inner critic is what helps us to field shame and vulnerability. The inner critic is taken to its extreme form is what we see with self-hate. Meaning I'm going to get to me before you can get to me. The inner critic is going to get a person coming and going. Meaning, let's say you, you want to start working out or you want to start eating healthier. It's going to be like, you really need to fucking start working out. Like you, and you need to eat better. This is a mess. You're, you're a fucking mess. And so you start eating healthy and you start working out, but then you start, maybe you're overdoing it. And then you start to feel like, really exhausted and maybe you're overworking yourself and it's like really you're overdoing it you need to relax you need to make some time to like sit down and stop pushing yourself so much and then you relax and it's like oh my god are you just gonna sit there can you fucking do something you're so lazy like see what i'm saying it doesn't matter what you're doing because an inner critic that is that fucking strong is just trying to field any kind of shame and any kind of vulnerability. It just wants you to be successful and it wants you to make it in life and it doesn't want you to be vulnerable. Because of everything I said in the beginning of this video. So who gets lumped in with the inner critic? The pusher! The pusher! I got a strong one of those. Just like I say, I've been working through this pleaser, which was sort of under the under wraps. I wasn't really fully, totally aware of how bad that was. Ooh, I got a pusher. And that pusher's like, I don't care. I don't care if you're tired. Keep going. Make that food. Make it, Rowan. You're fine. Your back hurts. Just come on. Really? Do you want to just like, you really want to make it to the end of the day and say that you didn't do that? I mean, you really should get everything done on the list. The, the pushers make the lists and they teamed up with the inner critic, right? Because these are, these are like groups of selves that, that get together. And the pusher and the inner critic are sometimes lumped in with the rule makers and they have ideas about how things should and shouldn't be. And you can see how if those are primary selves, you can see what vulnerability is underneath that. Well, what am I afraid is going to happen if I don't push myself? Again, it all comes back to the same fucking thing, which is I want people to love me. I want to be loved because if I'm successful, then people will love me. If I achieve this, if I get this done, then I'm lovable. But the problem with pushers is that that goalpost keeps getting put 
far. It's like you, you're running and you're like, oh, I'm so close to that. And it's like, nope. Now your new goalpost is here. And you're like, okay. And you keep running. You're like, yeah, I'm so close. And it's like, uh-uh. You're never going to get to that goalpost. You're never going to. Because it, it's never going to let you get to it. And you're never even going to be able to be allowed to celebrate the fact that you made it to this goal because it's like, oh my God, well, yeah, you got that done. Who cares? But there's one more thing that's right in front of you and you haven't done that. So maybe you need to focus on that now. And you end up being like chasing this rabbit that you can never quite seem to catch. And you see how that's a system that's also out of balance. So... This is something that I'm going to be doing a workshop on in either April or May. Specifically, I haven't decided if I'm going to split it up between pusher and pleaser, if I'm going to combine them, or if I'm going to do just the pusher, if I'm going to do just the pleaser. Um, But I'm going to start going through these different archetypes of primary selves in different workshops. Um in between other ones that come up. And the thing is, is that source moves me where I need to be. So timelines shift, information shifts, and then it's like, nope, you're not doing that. Now you're doing this. So I really don't want to hold myself to that. But I know that in the future at some point, I mean, I did a workshop on the inner critic. I don't think the, I don't think I have the recording for that one. So sorry, that's gone. Um, But I mean, this video alone is like a really great introduction to this stuff. If this is something that you've struggled with, then you can actually work with somebody like myself who does voice dialogue and can actually walk you through this process because there is nothing quite like, this is the last thing I want to say before I close up this video, there is nothing quite like having access to the disowned energy that's within your system. And what you can do is after having, after going over here, because here's the thing, you always want to talk to the primary self first. Don't go in to to your system and think that you're just going to go into this disowned energy and that's going to be it. You're not even going to get to that one until you talk to the primary self because the primary self is like, they're both protectors, but that's who has been running the ship. If you try to go and find the, and you try to talk to the vulnerability first, it's, you're not, it's not going to happen. And just don't do it because it's like not the way that you handle your own system. So talk to the primary self, whatever that may be, the pusher, the pleaser, the inner critic. Figure out what's going on in there. You can, there's a million ways to this. You can record yourself. But you literally want to move over to get out of the... You leave yourself there. I'm going to leave Rowan there. And I'm going to just step into the part of me that is the pleaser, let's say. We want to find out as much information as we can about this self. And you treat every self with respect. That's very important. And we're not going to get rid of selves. We want to understand them so that we can utilize the exalted form of their energy because I can promise you there is an exalted form of a pleaser. What do you think that is? 
the exalted form of a pleaser is somebody who has the capacity to be in relationship with other people, who has the ability to attune to social situations and have an intuition about when it might be appropriate to adjust in situations for your own safety. Having a dose of that is absolutely crucial to having relationships with other people. Because if you're all the way over here on the other side, just wrapped up in your own self, and it's all about me and what I need, then that's not going to work either. And then you come back to center. Huh. Interesting. Now I can suddenly have a lot more compassion for that one because I understand it and I understand the vulnerable child that's underneath that one. Then you go and you want to make sure. Sometimes I'll straight up ask primary selves, like, are you okay? I want to negotiate with them. Like, are you okay if we talk to this one who's on the other side? Usually they have bad things to say about that one. And you're like, listen, I promise you that I'm not going to let that one run the fucking show. Like, because as far as this one's concerned, if you let that one in, we're going to lose everyone. (laughs) So why would I let you talk to her (laughs) or him? You're like, no, 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 that's how this is going to go. Okay. And then you go to the other side. Okay, we're just going to leave Rowan there. And now I'm going to talk to the one who is opposite to this one can feel a little weird for people if you don't understand that you have multiple selves and these selves are self-righteous, meaning they have their way of doing things and that's the way that it's done. So you have to have an aware you go process in this because they're not gonna they're not gonna like be best friends. They have been doing it their way. The aware ego has to be the one to see the value in both. So you come over here, okay, what's going on? And it's like, everything that that one's saying is bullshit. I've been locked in a cage or I have been suppressed and put away for all this time. What I really want is to be able to express myself. I don't want to have to make everybody else happy. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I want to be able to have me. And what you can also do is you can find out where does the energy go? When you go into this one, where is the energy concentrated? Is it comfortable to have that energy there? Let's say, just for the sake of this, I'm going to give a more clear example. Mental energy versus being energy or body energy. If your mental energy is like way up here in the front of your eyes and it's like, "Ah," and it's like super intense because typically people have way more mind energy than they do body energy. Find out, is that comfortable being there? Is there another place? Maybe I could put it farther back. Maybe I could put it down my spine. And then you take a dial on these selves and you can adjust the volume. Hmm. What would it be like to be able to turn the volume down a little bit on that primary self? Where does it want to go and be in the body? And then you can invite in the opposite energy, a dose of it, not necessarily even the whole self. Where does that one want to go? What's it like? What's the body energy like for the just for this example? So it's clear. 
well, it kind of feels like, I don't know, my whole body. Or it kind of feels like my arms and my legs. Okay, is that comfortable? Do we want to turn that up a little bit? And then you can play around with what is it like to have them both in the body at the same time, taking up their own space. We're not blending them. We're just seeing what it would be like to hold both. This is the process of becoming conscious and becoming aware is your capacity or awakening your capacity to move energies, to witness energies neutrally and to wield them and to hold them when you need them. So in this case, like I was saying, okay, so if we have a homeopathic dose of the pleaser, that makes us able to be attuned socially to what's happening around us well what's a homeopathic dose then of the one who is interested in our best interests is the one who can express and get on alive like this or something and be myself and have relationship that's the other one but this one allows me to to be well where's that at where's that energy want to be at could I turn it up a little bit? And this work can get even more complex because every single person's system is unique and you don't know what you're going to find. You know, I hear my teacher talk about it like if she knew automatically what she was going to find with every person, she would have stopped doing this work like 40 fucking years ago because it's not the same. And you can even talk to the same selves two different times and have a completely different experience with them. You don't know what they're going to say from one day to the next. And there's also like sometimes multiple selves that are uh, in charge of similar things, but different components of that. Like you might have a rule maker working with a list maker, but the person who makes the list is not the same part that actually carries out the list. And you're just like, huh, that's curious. So the one who's making the list isn't the one who's doing the list. Well, there seems to be a disconnect there. There's just, it's just fucking endless. I love this kind of work. So I'm going to close this video out. Um, hopefully this got you curious about parts work, got you curious about your own parts, your pleasers, your pushers, your critics, Recognize that there's a vulnerability underneath that. And for myself, I mean, I'm now at a point where I actually do enjoy doing parts work by myself. And I will do it with myself. But um, when I was starting off, it just seemed like what so I preferred to do it with other people or have other people walk me through the process but like I said I'm gonna do a deeper workshop in this in the future and it can be helpful to do this with somebody else so uh, I was talking to my partner today and they were like we were talking about how people who I don't even know how it was phrased it was like people who like not necessarily like overtly advertising yourself. And I was like, I just realized that there's probably a lot of 
people, I mean, I do advertise myself in the sense that, like, I say that I do parts work and voice dialogue and completion process and fucking somatic experiencing and trauma recovery on my bio, but I'm not, like, in every video, I'm not, like, and if you want to do, like, work with me, um, because I just assume that if people are interested in this stuff and they watch my content, they can see that I'm a competent person, and then if they're, like, huh... I wonder if I could work with that person, then that would just, like, naturally happen for them, and then they would just dig and find out. Um, I mean, I always named it in my YouTube videos, which I'm not really doing right now because I just prefer to do this. So, I guess, and I've had a lot of new people come onto my page recently, so I guess for the sake of that, I will just say, for those of you guys that don't know me, most of you do who are on this live, um, or have worked with me already, or have come to my workshops. Um, yeah, I've been doing trauma recovery for three years since May of 2018. And this is my job. <laughs> this is what I do. I work with people one-on-one -on -one and in groups. And I use a number of different trauma recovery modalities to help people come back to themselves. That's what we're doing. We're clearing the artificial architecture we're clearing what is not the truth of us to make space for what we would rather have instead. The truth. Organic architecture. And we can do that through nervous system regulation. We can do that through completing trauma cycles. We can do that through soul retrieval, inner child work, parts work timeline work, meeting needs, emotional vipassana. I mean, you just got a fucking tool bag and you're like, all right, what's going on? And then, you know, organically flow with the person and just do what I do. So that's what's happening. <laughs> it was probably not very eloquently said, but um, yeah, I mean, it's all on my website. So if you really want to read about all that, it's there. All right. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. <sighs> I have a workshop on Sunday that I need to finish preparing for. The Healing Your Father Wound. There's already a lot of people signed up, so I'm really excited. It's going to be good. And then I'm actually doing like a private workshop that is only for a closed group of people. It's going to be dope on the fucking Matrix. So I have to prepare for that too. So... Love you guys. Bye.